but I had thought I might take advantage of this opportunity and talk about Psalms 19. So if you have your New Test or Old Testament and you want to turn there, or if you have your phone and want to dial in there, uh, Psalms 19 is what we're going to be talking about this morning. Now, sitting inside this garage is not exactly the same as like last week when we were outside and you can kind of see uh, nature a little bit better, but you can hear the birds in the background, right? <laughs> and you can still kind of uh, see nature all around. The heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament shows forth His handiwork. Where's that from? Psalms 19, right? (laughs) That's what we read this morning. Psalms 19. The heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament shows forth His handiwork. That's the easy question. A lot of people recognize those words... Maybe not everybody just immediately says, oh yeah, that's Psalms 19. But when you say Psalms 19, a lot of people go, oh yeah, yeah, I remember now. But that's the easier part, okay? Here's the tougher question. What is Psalms 19 about? Well, (laughs) that's a little bit more challenging, isn't it? Because those words are so familiar... The heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament shows forth His handiwork that a lot of times whenever you say, what is Psalms 19 all about? People will just automatically say, well, it's about creation. And to that I would say, kind (laughs) of. Psalms 19 and verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. Verse 1, the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament shows forth His handiwork. Verse 7, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. Well, that's different. Verse 14, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing or acceptable in your sight. Now, what is Psalms 19 about? Well, now i got to think about that, right? started off with creation. <laughs> and then it said something about the law of the Lord. And then it said the, thought, or my, the words of my mouth and the thoughts of my heart, my meditation, be pleasing in your sight. So now there's kind of three concepts that are set forth there. And then you begin to ask yourself, wait a minute, how does that tie together? What was the message that David was trying to get across when he wrote this psalm? So now what I want us to do this morning, as we approach this psalm and move down through it, I want us to notice there's three sections there. It's verses 1 through 6, that's creation. Verses 7 through 11, that's revelation. And verses 12 through 14 is really response. So it's creation, it's revelation, and it's response. So then as we work down through those, I think you'll see how that connects and how it makes a progression in thought and what David was doing as he penned this psalm. So I want us to begin with Psalms 19, and I'll just read verses 1 through 6. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows forth His handiwork. Day unto day utters speech, and night unto night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor language. Their voice is not heard. 
Their message, some translations say their line, but the idea, the concept behind that is their message. Their message has gone out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tabernacle, some translations say tent, for the sun, which is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber and rejoices like a strong man to run its race. Its rising is from one end of heaven and its circuit to the other end, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. So in verses 1 through 6, David talks about creation. And he says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows forth His handiwork. He says, Look at creation. It is glorious. And then he mentions day to day puts forth speech. But you don't hear any words. <laughs> and night to night reveals knowledge. And that message has gone everywhere. You know what David is saying? He says, take a look around. Take a look at creation. And it is talking to you. It is saying something to you. You don't hear words but there is a message there. And that message has gone everywhere. There is no place that escapes that message of creation. There is no place on this earth where you can go and get away from that message. It is there. <laughs> That's why Paul would say in Romans 1 that they are without excuse. Creation is crying out. There is a Creator. And David says, the heavens declare the glory of God. He says that he has set a tent or a tabernacle for the sun. And what he is saying is, is that it, ri it will rise in one direction and it will travel across the sky and it will set in the other. And it does that every day. And he says there is no place that escapes its heat. What he means by that is there is no place that escapes the benefit of that. Day to day pours forth speech and night to night reveals knowledge. Every night, it's the end of the day and you ought to rest. And he says as you look at this, it's giving a message. And as you look at this, that's the way God did it. And it works. And it works perfectly. <laughs> and he says, there's that message. And it is a glorious message. Now I want to transition just a little bit. This is speaking from my own experience, but I'm sure that you've experienced something like this. I would ask you to close your eyes and imagine, but then somebody would think that maybe I'm gone Pentecostal, so I'm not going to do that. <laughs> Keep your eyes open and imagine. California desert. Out there far enough that there are no city lights. And you cannot see city lights in the distance. And at nighttime, you pitch a tent... And there's no mountains, really. There's hills. <laughs> but there's no trees. 
And this is desert, so there's not any clouds. <laughs> and at nighttime, you look up, and there is this deep purple, black velvet sort of canopy that is over you, and it is sprinkled with diamonds, stars. And it's almost you can reach up and touch it. <laughs> and there are millions, billions glowing in the night sky. And you can see that. And it is like, this is amazing. High in the Rocky Mountains, up around the Continental Divide, <laughs> in the wintertime, you can look out over the snow-capped peaks. It is gorgeous. You can stand <laughs> on Key West and watch the sunset over the Gulf. It's glorious. Those are some of the things that I've seen. You've seen things like that too. And that's what David is saying. He said, this is creation. I want you to think for just a moment. If you've ever visited an art museum and you think about some of the greats, you think about, I'm no art critic, okay? So don't think I'm trying to get out of my <laughs> comfort zone here. But think about Michelangelo. Think about Rembrandt, Monet, Van Gogh. And we look at some of the things that they have produced and we go, <coughs> wow, that's a masterpiece. But have they ever created anything that compares with what God has done. These great artists <laughs> are trying to paint what the Creator has created. This is a masterpiece. And that's what David is saying. He says, look out <laughs> at the heavens and they declare the glory of God. And the firmament shows forth his handiwork. Now verse 7. 7 through 11. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. Sometimes people look at that. And they say that David made this like abrupt shift from verse 6 to verse 7. He's been talking about creation and all of a sudden it's the law of the Lord. I don't think that shift is really abrupt at all. I think it's actually a lead-in and it's a transition. But it's a transition that we have to follow so that we can grasp what he is saying and appreciate what he is saying. I want you to notice in about verse 10, 
He says, more to be desired are they than gold. What is it that men go after in this life oftentimes? <laughs> Isn't it gold? He said, more to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, and sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. He's talking about the law of the Lord. And he said, this is more to be desired than gold than much fine gold. And it's sweeter than honey and the honeycomb. So what David would like for us to do is to take that which is more readily grasped, that which is creation, and we look out and we see it, and he goes, this is glorious. And then he makes this... Would somebody give Candace a chair? She is coming up. There's an extra one there. Um, or give her... Oh, she brought one. Hello, Candace. Glad you're here. Yeah, an hour. That's okay. We're glad you're here. So what David does first is he gives us what we can more readily grasp. Take a look at creation. See the glory of this. But then he transitions to the law of the Lord. And it is perfect converting the soul. So I'm going to make this point here and then we'll come back in a minute. The law of the Lord. And he says it's perfect. Do you think creation's perfect? <laughs> you think anybody's going to improve on the way cre- we try? <laughs> but nobody's going to improve on nature and the way it works and the laws that control it. It's perfect. And then he starts to talk about the law. And he said the law is perfect and it converts the soul. Do you know what the word convert means? It means to change from one thing to another. And what he's saying is that law that God has given is perfect and it can change you. And it's to be more desired than gold. And it's sweeter than honey and the honeycomb. So all of the things that he has just said about creation and he wants us to think about, he's saying, I want you to think about the law and how glorious and how precious it is. You think creation something? Take a look at this law. But see, with this law, you're going to have to spend time with it. And you're going to have to read it. And you're going to have to understand it so that you know how it applies. So that you can make application of it. And if you do that, you come to understand how glorious, how perfect this law is. Just like creation. He says, now look at this law. So that you come to understand and appreciate what it is. In verses 12, he said, Who can understand his errors? Cleanse me from secret faults. And and I'll, I'll come back there in just a moment. And in verse 14, Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable. Can you start to see the progression that he's making? Here's creation. 
and how marvelous here is his law and how much you can benefit from it and that it converts the soul it can change you so that when he gets to 12 and verse 14 through 14 it's like it brings this response is what he is saying as you take a look at verses 7 through 11 and he says the law of the Lord is perfect and the testimonies of the Lord are sure you pick out those words that are talking about the law and there's like seven pearls that are there he says it is perfect it is sure it is right it is pure, it is clean, it is true, and it is righteous. And as you focus in on each one of those, it helps you to see what the law will do for you and how glorious it can be in a person's life and how God's law can change them. Verses 12 through 14. He says, who can detect, uh, in some translations it says, understand. I wrote in detect because that's the way I want you to think about that. (laughs) Who can detect his errors? Cleanse me from secret faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless, and I shall be innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. My Lord, some translations say my strength, some say my rock. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Notice verse 12. He says, who can detect, who can understand his sins or his errors? And he says, keep me from secret faults. Some translations say hidden. Let me ask you this question. (laughs) Hidden from who? From God? There's nothing hidden from God. So what's the psalmist saying? What's David saying? He says, keep me from hidden sins. His sins. Do you ever think there's any sins that you have that are hidden from you? Let me give you a little illustration. Most of you know I spent six years working in a high school. Okay? <laughs> so this ties in. Talking with someone, uh, I don't know, a while back. Not a teenager, this was an adult. But talking about teenage years. And they were saying, have you ever gotten out old photographs and looked at them? <laughs> and sometimes you think, <laughs> those teenage years or whatever... 
I looked pretty cool, didn't I? (laughs) (laughs) And then 10, 15, 20 years later, you look at those same photographs and you go, what was I thinking? (laughs) (laughs) While I was at Park Hill South, I saw kids... (laughs) that had hair every color of the rainbow and some that are even in the rainbow. <laughs> and I often thought to myself, <laughs> and, and you could tell, you could tell <laughs> that they felt pretty cool about that, you know? And I thought, 10, 15, 20 years from now, you're going to look at these photographs and you're going to think, what was I thinking? <laughs> are there ever times when we're just not really aware of ourself. Yeah. Sometimes there can be pride. Sometimes there can be arrogance. There can be conceit. There can be rudeness. There can be insolence. And someone might say, do you realize (laughs) how rude you just were? (laughs) Or how condescending you just were? And if, and you might, no, <laughs> I wasn't. I wasn't really aware of it. So now David, after looking at creation, and after looking at God's revelation, he now says, "Keep me from hidden faults. Keep me from secret sins." Hidden to who? To me. That's what he's saying. Help me, Lord, to see the way you see. That's what he's talking about. So in verses 1 through 6, it's creation. And then in verses 7 through 11, it's revelation. And then in verses 12 through 14, it's response. I am aware of God's creation. I am aware of his revelation. And now I'm aware of me. You know, while I was at Park Hill South and I used to think this, you know, I've heard this over the years, psychologists and so forth. And they will say that the human mind is not fully developed Till you're about 25 years old. And talking to some of those teenagers, I was like, you're not even totally awake yet, are you? <laughs> Your brain is definitely still under development here. <laughs> but spiritually speaking, we're that way too, you know? We have to be made aware of ourselves. And so that's what he's saying. Take a look at creation. And it tells you something about God. And it tells you how glorious it is. And if you read in the first chapters of Genesis, it tells you how good he is. And it's this same God who has made everything and how good that he is. He wants to know you. And he wants you to know him. And he has given this revelation. And this revelation is beneficial. See, sometimes we think it's confining. (laughs) And the thing that really confines us is sin. He would like to set us free from that. 
so that we can truly enjoy life and live it the way that He designed it. See, because in creation, there are laws that govern creation. And those laws cause creation, nature, to function perfectly. But in a moral world, we have been given free will. And we have to choose whether or not we will follow what He has revealed. And as Brian mentioned earlier, (laughs) the reason why there's disease and death, suffering and pain, it's because of sin. And John defines sin for us, doesn't he? Sin is transgression of the law. And in the book of Deuteronomy, about the 10th chapter, he tells us the things which I command you are for your good always. I don't give you these things to be a burden. (laughs) I give you these things for your benefit. And so David is saying, here's creation, here's revelation, and here's the response that he came to. Now I see creation. Now I see your revelation. And now I see myself. Number, uh, well, a lot of years ago. Okay. There was a uh, little girl that was born into this world healthy, happy until she was about 18 months old. And then she was afflicted with a illness, a disease. They never have just exactly diagnosed what happened. But at 18 months old, she became very ill and Excuse me. It left her blind. And it left her deaf. So now at 18 months old, she's plunged into a world of darkness and silence. Her parents said, as time went along, she became very frustrated, they could tell, agitated difficult and by the time she was seven years old she was essentially out of control Helen Keller (laughs) there was another young lady everybody knows her name because of her association with Helen Keller but really, her story in and of itself, if you ever read it, is pretty amazing. That's Ann Sullivan. Ann Sullivan, whether you're aware of it or not, at one time was legally blind. She attended a school, Perkins. She graduated. And so... She was the one 
who started to work with Helen Keller. And I think most of you are probably aware of the fact that as she worked with Helen Keller when it when it first when they first started, it, it was difficult <laughs> to say the least. It got physical, <laughs> and there was times she had to hold her down and stuff. And eventually, she requested of her parents, "Let me move out with this girl by herself because you can't stand to watch what I'm going to have to do." <laughs> and they agreed. And she would take Anne, and she would hold her hand, and she would make sign against her hand. And for quite some time, Anne just wasn't getting it. <laughs> and then she, finally one day they were outside. Of course, this is early 1800s, right? And so somebody's using a hand pump for, for water. And they, she heard, Anne didn't hear it, but <laughs> uh, I mean, Helen didn't hear it, Anne did and she pulled her over there and she stuck her hand underneath the water and she started making sign on her other hand and it was like the light came on. It was like all of a sudden. Now, that's, there's, this makes sense. <laughs> and so she taught her letters which she was able to put together and make words. And then she taught her from that braille. And from that she learned to read. So it was a little out of time. It's letters, it's words, it's reading, it's concepts. And Anne's world, or I mean, Helen's world opened up. Now she started to understand the world around her. Now she started to understand other people. Through this, she also learned about God because a preacher came. By the time she was 10 years old, she actually started to speak. And then sometime later after that, she was taught by a preacher and from the scriptures and taught about Jesus until one day she exclaimed she said I knew him <laughs> I knew him she said I just never I never knew his name <laughs> but through that teaching and through teaching of God's Word, she come to know the one who had made all things. The one who had made other people. The one who had made her and how she could relate to others. And it changed her world. Psalms 19, various people give various themes or titles to Psalms 19. I say Psalms 19 is really about all the world being set right. Because when you understand creation and the one behind it, and when you understand revelation and the one behind it, then you can come to understand yourself.
and you can begin to understand others and you can understand the one who is trying to help us and that's glorious and David says that's more to be desired than gold than much fine gold and sweeter than the honey and the honeycomb so in Psalms 19 now I'm going to kind of finish with this you need to notice the progression and while we've been away from each other I wrote about the names of God, right? Psalm 19 and verse 1, what name is used there? The heavens declare the glory of God. Hell. The one who made it all. But it's interesting. In verse 7, the name changes. The testimony of the English translation, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. And who is that? That's Jehovah. That's who we found in Genesis, the second chapter. This is the God of covenant, love, and relationship. God created Jehovah, the testimony, is perfect and it'll convert the soul. If you come to understand it, it can change you. And that's what David is saying. There's creation, there's revelation, and now my response is let the words and the thoughts and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. That changed David. And that's what he's saying he'll do for us. So that's Psalms 19. I'm going to extend the invitation. Even though we're outside, <laughs> somewhat. <laughs> and I'm thankful everybody was here and we come together and we worship. And we can do that. But if there's in any way you need to make your relationship right with the Lord, if we can help you. That's what we want to do. So while we're together, we stand and let's sing.